Good morning. Good morning. On this blustery day, right? As Winnie the Pooh would say, right? Right, Sammy? All right. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, there's a section that I want to go through um, right after to uh, what we just uh, talked about, what we just preached about. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read the text. We're going to start from 7. and We're going to go all the way down to verse 16. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 7 to 16. But to each one of us grace has been has given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says when he ascended on high, he led a captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now this expression he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended is himself also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him, who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, we are standing here astounded. Astounded that you would use us for your son's glory on this earth. And as we dwell upon what the meaning of this text, it's just an amazing thing that you would choose to use once rebel sinners for the noble task of glorifying your son. And so, Father, we just pray even in this time as we dwell on your word, may these words be fresh, may Christ be exalted, may we see his glory and his majesty once again. May our hearts be reveling in his love. Oh, help me, Father. Help me to use my gift even as I'm here by the power of the Spirit. And strengthen us and use us for your glory. May Christ be exalted. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was... Back in our sending church, there was a guy who would always struggle. And I was always asking him, well, what ministry are you in? Where are you serving? And he'd always tell me, well, you know, I, I don't serve, Angelo. And I said, well, why not? Why don't you serve? Well, because see, I don't, I don't have gifts like you or, or that guy or that brother. 
And he was always caught up. And I always noticed that the brother, every time I talked to him year after year, I always asked him, where are you serving? Where are you serving? And he would say, well, you know, I just haven't found my place or I'm not serving because I just don't feel like I'm as good enough as that person or this person or that person. When in fact, that's not how God has designed it at all. In this passage, we're going to see how God himself sent his son to die on the cross so that he can give us spiritual gifts so that it can be exercised in the body. And that when folks see us and then when people see us, as we operate our gifts together, they are astonished that so different a people can get together and yet such different gifts can be exercised. Well, the, the point of this passage is that God gave it to you this morning so that you would consistently exercise your spiritual gift in the local church for the glory of Christ. This is why God gave his gifts to folks. This is why he sent his son so that they can operate in these gifts. I think um, what's astonishing to me, and we're going to take the, these two passages, um, uh, we're just going to go to, from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7. I think we're only going to have time to go to verse 10. Because I don't want to rush this portion. This is a very, very important portion. This is how do you operate in church? This is how do you do church, right? How do you do church? Now, what's astonishing to me is that how related it is to the cross of Christ. Your service is related to the glories of Christ himself. And we're going to see how that's tied together. Number one, to consistently exercise your spiritual gift in the local church for the glory of Christ, if you want to make a difference, if you want your life to count for the glory of Christ by making him famous, if you want to spend it rightly and not waste your life, as John Piper would say, don't waste your life in his book, right? You got to understand three distinctives. You must understand three distinctive and how God has designed how gifts work. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 4. And he starts, notice he says in verse 7, this is Jesus' sovereign choice, if you're following along with notes. This is Jesus' sovereign choice. How are you, what kind of gifts are you to have? You don't pick them. When you're saved, God blesses you with them. And people recognize them. You can't pick someone else's gift because you like it better. You can't say, my gift is lousy, I want this other person's gift. This is Jesus' sovereign choice. And this is Jesus' sovereign decision over your life, just as election is. And he starts out talking about the uniqueness of his gift. He says, but to each one. Notice he says, but. But. There, it's, it's uh, we would call a conjunct. It's connecting the two passages there. But it has a little bit of a, what we would call a mild, it's a mild adversive. Okay? And all that means is, this is true, but this. Okay? Or let me try and explain it to you. While on the one hand, this is true, this also is true. This is how you would explain it. Okay? 
And if you remember from last week when we were talking about in chapter 4, verses 1 to uh, 4, um, excuse me, verse 3, we understood that the root of that passage was being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now what God is saying about us, okay, this is astounding, is that even though we are to be unified in thought, unified in essential things, unified in our goal, in our mission, that is to glorify Christ, but we're not supposed to do it the same way. Are you following? We're not supposed to look the same. He says, yes, this is true. We're supposed to be unified in mission, unified in our love, but we are to be different. And he backs that up by saying what? To each one. To each one. There's supposed to be a diversity of gifts. We could even look maybe in uh, Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans 12. We're going to be bouncing around, and I don't want to go through this too fast, but look at Romans chapter 12. Notice he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And you notice he says, Lay down your lives. When we talk about Christianity, it isn't simply that, yes, I'm saved and now I could just kind of sit in the chairs and let everyone else do the work and not be part of this kingdom work. This is laying down your life for Christ. This is an expression of love, not earning salvation, but I love God. And, and the way you would express love in Paul's words is that you would give yourself as a living sacrifice. Much like dying, but living as an oxymoron. A living sacrifice. And then he says here, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly, but to think of such a sound judgment. For just as we have many members in one body, notice he says in verse 4, All the members, here it is, do not have the same function. And that's what we have to understand. Okay? We were uniquely gifted. We were uniquely graced. You are uniquely brought up. You have a unique background brought together even in this local body for the glory of Christ. Okay? Every single Christian who names the name of Christ has been gifted with a spiritual gift. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is that ability to be used after you get saved that you didn't have before can be used for the edification of the local church. Right? It is, it is not a natural talent. It is not singing or dancing. It is not any of those things. What it is, is it's a capacity, now a new capacity, at the rebirth, at your salvation, now that you can serve, so that you can serve God and edify the body effectively. It's an amazing thing. 
And God says that each of you have been given this. Notice that there are different functions. It operates differently. He says in verse 5, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Or 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace. Is it a little bit cold for you guys here? No? Yes? It's a little cold for me. Just a slap. I guess I'm getting hit right in the head right here. To each of you of us, diversity of gifts. Diversity of gifts. Now notice he says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. He who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy, mercy with cheerfulness. Notice he says here, and he names off a few. This is not a comprehensive list. But all he is doing is he's simply naming there are certain aspects of the body. Certain aspects that you've been given a gift for. I think it's wonderful when you could recognize this. I think it's wonderful when folks help you to recognize this in the local body. Why? Because it helps you to focus. What happens is, and this is what happens, in the local church, how do you know, how do you know it, what spiritual gift you have? I'm not going to give you one of those battery of tests and you could fill out like a slam book which of those spiritual gifts you have, okay? But how do you know? Here's the promise first. Understand this, that, that every single Christian who names the name of Christ, has a spiritual gift. Okay. If you're a truly a Christian, you have this new ability that can be used, that can be flexed, that can be honed, that can be uh, sharpened to edify the body of Christ. Okay. But how do you know what gift you have? So here's how it starts. Okay, In the body... God has different needs. The Bible has different, the, excuse me, the church has different needs. God doesn't have any needs. Right? The church has different needs. And as those needs arise, okay, it starts to tug on the hearts of folks differently. Okay? Now, we are all supposed to have mercy. We're all supposed to have helps on our mind. We're all supposed to be giving. We're all supposed to be kind of teaching one another. We're all supposed to be shepherding one another. We're all supposed to be uh, managing our household and administration and things like that. But what happens is in the local church, as these needs arise, your heart becomes especially burdened. You say, you don't even think about it. There's a conscious, there's a conscious, uh, um, first, you, you actually see the need come arise as it comes arise. Most folks like me, like me, for certain needs, if I'm not alert, I won't see it as, as, as good as you with certain needs that you're gifted for. And as that needs arise, as those needs arise, you say, we got to go do something. I have to go do something. I got to do something about this. There's a need and I have to fill it. I've got to go do it. I need to go. I, and so what happens is God especially burdens you. This is what's fantastic. And the burden is attached 
to that sovereign gift that Christ himself gave you. And what happens if you are in the spirit and you are walking by his word and you are walking with Jesus and you're not in rebellion, you give yourself to that. And as you give yourself, here's amazing, you're serving, okay? You're actually letting your rights go. You're letting your privileges go. You're letting your resources go, okay? Resources that you would normally keep for yourself or time you would normally keep for yourself or effort and energy you would normally keep for yourself. You let it go to meet that need in the body. And instead of saying, oh, I wish I didn't do that, instead of saying, I wish I would have reserved for myself, your heart begun, begins to well up with joy. Because this is, and the joy is this, brothers and sisters. You are finally doing the very purpose by which God called you. And the God of the universe, who chose you before the foundation of the world, had this plan to use your life in a local body to bring glory and honor to Christ. And the more you are yielded to it, the more you will be used. Never even if it's hard, you guys could say amen to me with this. Even how hard it is, right? Sometimes in ministry to continue on. Some of you understand the, the fatigue, the exhaustion, even the loneliness of it. Amen? When you are giving yourself, when Christ, you say, he must increase, I must decrease. You know there is a joy that cannot be compared. Why? Because now you're finally using that unique gift and you're getting better at it. And the body is being edified by it. Isn't that amazing? I don't want to live any other way. I don't want to live any other way. I don't want to be, you know how you go to Ikea, okay? I was thinking about this last night. I started cracking up. You know, you go to Ikea, and you buy one of their cheap drawers, or that's what I do. I buy their cheap drawers because I can't build anything, right? And I put the instruction manual, and they give you these, this awful thin wrench, that you try and use and it cuts into your hand when you're trying to tighten. And then they give you this Allen wrench, which is only one size, right? This hex wrench, it's only one size. And when the thing is over, right? When it's done, these tools are absolutely useless. I have no use for them, right? I wanna throw them away. See, you are not like an Ikea wrench, okay? God has so composed and given you a gift 
And oftentimes this gift is coupled with your personality. It's coupled with your background. Such that when you flex it, it's unlike any other person's. Such that when you use it for his glory, it's, it's, there is a void. If you're not there, there is a void that is missing in the local church. And God designed it. He is the master general, isn't he? Isn't that amazing? What's amazing is not the unique, not just the uniqueness of the gift, but also the power, the power to use it. Here, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, the power to use it, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the mercy of Christ's gift. Now, this word here, grace, is not, have you noticed the word grace has different meanings according to context? In this context here, it doesn't mean necessarily the grace of salvation. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about grace to use your spiritual gift. In other words, it is the sustaining power. It is the strength. It is the motivation. It is the resources that God has at his disposal that Paul has been trying to convince you of all from chapters 1 to 3. And now he's telling you, because you've been elected before the foundation of the world, because you've been purchased by the Son, because the Son Spirit has regenerated you, because he has removed you from death into life, he's given you new life, he's not going to say, okay, now you're saved, and then now you must go out to the gospel and preach the whole to the whole world, but you got to do it in your own strength. He doesn't do it that way, which that's amazing. He promises that as you walk on this pilgrim path, he is going to be the sustaining power and grace. Even while we're here, brothers and sisters, as you're trying to share the gospel. I, I remember I was, I was talking to uh, uh, some folks and, um, where, where I get a chance to share the gospel. And sometimes it goes positive, you know. Folks go, yeah, I'll come. Sometimes it goes really positive. Yeah, yeah, I want to know more about that. And sometimes it goes really, really negative. I remember, <laughs> I think I was so encouraged because I was asking people and they were so positive, right? And then I asked this other guy, hey, you want to come to church sometime? He goes, no, I, I don't ever want to go, ever, ever. He said, ever twice. Okay, you, you could have just said, I don't want to go. He said, no, I, I, I don't ever, ever want to go. Oh, all right, well, okay. And this other guy I thought we were hitting, hitting it off very well. And I said, hey, why don't you come? And he said, I'm sorry, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God anymore. And you know, I could just be, well, you know what? Forget this. Forget this. This is too hard. I'm tired. I'm weak. But by the grace of God. Keeps you going. I can't ever quit. I won't quit by the grace of God. Amen. And the only thing that's going to sustain you. And to keep you working. And to keep you going is what? 
the grace of God's sustaining power and his strength. Now, if you try and do this ministry apart from his power, you're going to fall on your face. Have you been there yet? <laughs> Have you been there yet? Have you fallen on your face? But what's amazing is that God gives us his grace, his sustaining strength, his motivating resources, all that you need in him to keep going according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I want to move on. So recognize clearly the uniqueness of your spiritual gift. Why? Because first, it was Jesus' sovereign choice. It was Jesus' sovereign choice. But in this next section, it almost looks like it was just thrown in there if we don't stop to understand it. Okay? Why should you recognize clearly the uniqueness of your spiritual gift? It's Jesus' sovereign choice. But also, it is Jesus' earned right. It is Jesus' earned right. Notice verses 8 to 10. Let me read that to you. Verses 8 to 10. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now here's a clue for you. As you're studying the word of God, many Bibles will have, say for instance, verse 8 in either indented or all capitalized for you to understand something. And what he's explaining what Paul is explaining now is he's using an Old Testament passage to explain what Jesus did in giving gifts. What gives Jesus the right? What gives him the authority? Okay. So in order for us to understand that, we have to go to Psalm 68. So let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, verses 15 to 18. I'll just read that portion, okay? 15 to 18. And it says, A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired? For his abode, surely the Lord will dwell there forever. Verse 17. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. Now look at verse 18. Okay? You have ascended on high. You led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, what is this psalm written about? Who is this psalm written about? 
Originally, it is written about David. Okay? And just to get a context, David just conquered a Jebusite village. And as he conquered a Jebusite village, he brought with him and uh, he brought with him the spoils of battle, the spoils of war. And what he does is he conquers that village and he comes back into city, Jerusalem, and he comes back in a parade. Okay? And it's well known, this is what kings do as they conquer. They come back and they bring a parade and they bring back the spoils of what they conquered. So that everyone would laud the king for his prowess on the battlefield. Everyone would praise the king for his prowess and his intelligence and his leadership for what he did on the battlefield. A parade, kings would bring the spoils of victory and the prisoners of the enemy. The parade of conquest would be the procession traveling through the city. The parade would often have some of the king's own soldiers. Sometimes it's his own soldiers that were captured and made prisoners of the enemy. These are the prisoners who are now free because the king has come and conquered. So there are some prisoners who are of the enemy. Then there are other prisoners who are caught back up and set free because they used to be with the king and they were imprisoned and now they freed the prisoners. Much like uh, if you follow in World War II, uh, the Bataan uh, Death March, when the Americans and the Filipinos got out of the jail, right? They were set free, right? Often these soldiers, okay, were called recaptured captives. Okay, are you following? Okay. One commentator stated that they are prisoners who have been taken prisoner again by their own king and given freedom. Okay. And that's the context of Psalm 68, verse 18. Now, okay, it is the picture of a victorious king coming, bringing with him the spoils of victory, bringing with him the captives from war, and even bringing the captives, what? The captives who used to be his own men. And he's bringing it with him, uh, expecting the city to laud him and to praise him for all of his deeds. And as he goes through, they praise him. Now, this is an allusion to Christ himself. Now, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We, we still say that David is David in Psalm 68. It was about David. But Paul is using the psalm now. He's saying that instance is very much like what Jesus is. The first David is like the second David. But the second David is greater. As David ascended into Jerusalem, Jesus ascended back into heaven itself. And here it is. Ascended on high. Notice he says there in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. Therefore when it says when he ascended on high. This is Christ returning to heaven. After his battle on earth with him. After his battle on earth he's bringing with him the spoils of victory. Well what was Jesus' battle? 
why is Jesus now portrayed as the warrior king? Okay, this is your king. This is Jesus expressed as a warrior king. Christ was victorious in battle. His death on the cross and the resurrection proved that he conquered over death, sin, the world, and devil himself. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus bruised Satan on the head as he promised in Genesis. Colossians 2.15 even says this. I'll just read it to you. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And this is what's astounding to me and amazing to me as I study it. That the cross of Christ, you know, we sing that song. Um, what is it? My heart is filled with a thousand songs. What is it? For the glories of Calvary. With every breath, what is it? How I long to sing of Jesus who died for me. Oh, take me deeper. And You know, before I used to sing that song, I used to go, okay, that's a cool and nifty song. I like the beat. Boom, boom, boom. Take me deeper into the cross. Take me deeper into the cross. What's astounding to me, brothers and sisters, okay, is when you start to study the cross, you think it's just salvation, although that, that is sweet. You think it's just justification. But as you delve into it, you start to see its implications and its ripple effect and how it changes all of life. That not only am I forgiven, okay, for what we've seen in Ephesians, okay, I am adopted, I am a new child, I am, uh, I have all resources at my disposal, but also I start to see things that I didn't see before. That the cross now is the groundwork for true racial harmony. Right? Now, imagine this. The cross is the groundwork for spiritual gifts to be doled out to his people so that they could bring him glory. The cross accomplished that. Is that amazing? So what can you say the cross did? It provided for my spiritual gifts. So that I could glorify him. All praise goes back to him. Now. He ascended on high. How did he ascend on high? The next line. He led captive a host of captives. He brings home. Like what we were talking about. Former prisoners of the enemy back to their God and back to their people. And what's astonishing, here's, what, here's what's astonishing. Here's another astonishing thing. I said that that's astonishing so many times, right? What's astonishing is that he calls those prisoners of the enemy here likened to unbelievers who still belong to him. Let me, let me try and break that down. He says, you see those unbelievers? You see those captives over there? They're mine. You see that? Those captives over there, they are mine. Which you could say, in other words, these are folks that are gods that are still imprisoned that need to be set free and return to God and to his people. This makes sense as God has already elected some, when? From before the foundation 
of the world. This makes absolute sense. God says this about these people. They are unbelievers. They don't worship Christ. They don't know him. He says, I have chosen them and they are mine. And I want you, by God's grace, to use your gift in the local church to go get them. That's amazing. And I provided to, for you to go get them by giving you a spiritual gift that would not normally be effective, that would not normally be activated unless I went to the cross. It's amazing. He's calling out those people. That makes sense. Remember in Acts chapter 18, he encourages Paul to stay. For I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. You remember that? Acts chapter 18 verse 10. He encourages Paul, even though they are captives still. I have many people in this city. Not I will have. Not I'm trying to make a way. I have them. You stay here and you go get them by God's grace. Amen. John 10, your, the words of your Savior, John 10, 16. What does he say? I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They shall hear my voice and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. See, if you're not in the work, if you're not exerting your gift, you are not doing what is the very purpose of your salvation, and that is to bring glory to Him. He led a captive of hosts. Next, He gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. Now, as a victorious king, he shares the spoils of war with his subjects. And just as in the psalm after Christ's ascension, just as David brought the uh, spoils, Christ himself brings the spoils. He is worthy. He has earned it. He has risen from the grave. He has defeated the enemy. He has stomped on him underfoot. And now he says, I will give spiritual gifts to my people. This is what God, this is what Christ said he would do. Notice in John 14. This is how his people are going to make a difference. This is how people are going to penetrate the culture. This is how a people are going, uh, is going to be used. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12. Okay, read this with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Did you read that? Following me, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Now, you're going to have to look at that verse. Sometimes you read the verse and you go on without really stopping to think. Jesus is saying, 
some astounding things. He says, truly, truly, what? Amen, amen. Amen, amen, what? I say to you, he who believes in me, okay, that's me. The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Wait a minute, Jesus. That doesn't sound right. You ever read that? Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. What do you mean? Jesus is saying, you know what I've done? going to do more. You're going to do greater. Wait, 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 wait. You got to stop. Think about this. Jesus, I never healed anyone. Jesus, I never raised anyone from the dead like Lazarus. I never gave anyone sight. I never gave anyone hearing. What do you mean these things I will do and greater? You ever think about that? And what Jesus is saying is that as he gives gifts, it's not greater in miracles. Here's what it is. Here's this comparison. It's not greater in miracles. It's not greater in his substitutionary work. What Jesus is saying is to the disciples, to you, is that you will have a greater range of influence, of gospel opportunity, of the spread of the gospel than the Son of God himself. Jesus' whole life was spent from Nazareth, was spent from Galilee to Jerusalem, and that's it. Brothers and sisters, we already passed that. You understand? We've got already two missionaries on board. Last week, we just approved three new missionaries because God has been blessing our missionary budget. And we were looking at the money, and we said, we've got to use this for his glory. I'd love to tell you the stories, and we're going to tell you more. But God is... What Jesus is saying here, and us being here right now, is the culmination of God doing greater works through us. Amen? He's doing greater works. And notice, it's the same, same connection. He says here, verse 12. Greater works these things he will do because, and here's a phrase, right? Because what? I go to the Father. Because I go to the Father. And that is connected with Jesus' ascension. Okay? And here's just so that you uh, will see this. Okay? When Jesus says, I go to the Father, it is in connection with his ascension, but also in the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus says, I have ascended, I go to the Father, victorious. What is it? What it's implying is that the Spirit will come. And notice he says here, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, here it is, 
Here's a promise to you, saint, that you are not wasting your life when you give it to Christ. When you are exercising your gift, he says this. I will ask the Father, he will what? Give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold or know him. But you know because he abides with you and will be in you. What Jesus is saying is when I ascend and when I go up, the spirit will come down and rain down the spiritual gifts so that you will be effective in your work, in the school, in the areas that you have influence. So that we don't go out feeling like it's not going to be productive. It is. God's going to use it. God's going to use it. And he said this even in Acts chapter 1. What did he say? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all of Samaria. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, now it says what? He ascended. He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heaven, that he might fill all things. You notice ascended, we take that to mean, because as David is the parallel. Jesus now takes on that parallel. As David ascended, right? So here, Jesus ascended into heaven. Taken up into heaven. So what does descended mean? Descended is a picture of all that encompasses Jesus' incarnation. Coming down to he from heaven unto earth. To the lower parts of the earth, as opposed to far above all the heavens. Here, basically what he's saying is here on this earth, is what one commentator says, is where all life and death occurs. Jesus himself, from heaven, from the third heaven, came down in the flesh and truly and honestly descended into us. Came in the flesh. And then he says here, to fill all things. Jesus paid the price. He came to earth. He died on the cross. Resurrected and ascended. And sits at the right hand of the Father. Conquered death, sin, the world, and the devil. He has the right to rule the church. And to gift the church. To fill all things. He fills the entire universe. With blessing. Particularly his church. Now. When you know that it was God who determined. This is the only part that we're going to be able to go through. Okay? When you know that it was God who determined your spiritual gift and the capacity to use it, it changes life completely. Um, go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll end there. 1 Corinthians 12. Another passage about the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 4 to 6, it sets you free to understand this, that Jesus himself picked the gift and he earned the right to give you whatever gift he wanted to, okay? This is by God's design. When you understand that, it sets you free. 
First, it sets you free from the idol of comparison. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 to 6. There are a variety of gifts. There's a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There's a variety of effects. Sets you free from the idol of comparison. You don't have to say, well, I don't. I wish I could teach like that guy. I wish I could share the gospel like that girl. I wish I could do it like this person. I wish I could sing songs and encourage the flock that way. I wish I could uh, encourage others. I wish I had mercy like others. No. Now you understand that if it's God's sovereign will, we are not called to be cookie cutters. You understand? When God brings people into his church, you are to expect diversity. We are to be unified in thought, in mission, in love for Christ. Unity, yet diverse in its expression, in its administration, in the way we operate. Right? It sets you free from the idol of conformity. Look at 12, 7 to 10. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Another the word of knowledge, another the word of faith, another by healing and a thing of miracles. So now there's no pressure. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? We don't have to look like one another in its expression. We're going to operate differently. I just, I just had a great pastor, Steve, who always just let me be who I was. He never tried to force me to be someone else. He always just wanted to focus and get me ready and get me sharp to use my gift but to use it in the flavor that comes out of me you understand and that's my burden and that's my heart and our hearts is that each of you by God's grace will be proclaiming Christ in your own individual way would be serving the body in your own individual unique way that God has presented it sets you free from the idol of discontentment look at first corinthians 12 11 verse 11 but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills you don't get to pick he picks and when you understand that you're set free i don't need to i don't need to be jealous It sets you free from the idol of independence, being autonomous. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. You are one member, but we need each other. And if you understand that, that Christ has so composed us to work together, you don't want to be apart. You want to you be together. It sets free from the idol of exclusion. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. You don't want to exclude others simply because they're different, simply because they're a different race or different status, slave men or free. That would equate to our economic status here. You don't want to exclude people. You want to include people, even if they're different. Why? Because you understand God has so composed us with different gifts, and we're different members, and we have different backgrounds, and he's going to use it, all the flavors of the church. Amen? That's what frees us. It frees you from the idol of pride, and there's two idols of pride here, verses 15 to 20. Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, 
and for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. I call that the woe is me pride. Woe is me. I'm not as important as that person. I'm not as well known as that person. I'm not as uh, popular as that person. I might as well give up. What am I going to do? Woe, 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 woe is me. You know, it's pride. Actually, it's a different form of pride. It's I'm so focused on myself that I'm not even serving Christ or his church. Because I feel so bad. So come and coddle me. It also frees you from the idol of pride. That's the I'm all that. I'm all that idol. Look at verse 21 to 24. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And now he's saying this. You can't, as a member of the body, can't say, oh, I have no need of you. I'm so important that the church will not go on unless I'm here. Praise me. I'm all that. False. We need each other. We can't operate. I think as the team as the team grows and as folks grow in this church, you understand, right? If one of us is not here, something's not happening. We're going to sit on the floor, right? Jason's not here. We're going to sit on the floor, right? Right? Why? Because we need each other. Amen? Amen? It frees you from the idol of self-love. I can go to... Verses 24 to 27, where you say, I am more loved, but also it sets you free from the idol of ministry and self. Look at 28 to 20 to 31, and he talks about God is appointed in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles. Some folks view ministry itself as an idol. And then Paul turns in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, I show you a better way. What is the better way? Instead of focusing on all of that, he says the better way is express yourself in love. And what tends to happen is if you follow the rule of love for God and for others, the gift will be expressed. God gifted you and prepared you to serve in this way. Fight for unity in Christ, but express our diversity in Christ. Amen. This is exactly why a healthy church broadcasts Christ's love and glory. If you're a believer, there's some usual reasons you don't serve. You were either hurt at a, a church before or, or at the present church. If that's it, you know, just we pray that you'd be healed and God would get you back on that horse. Or you may have pride or you may, may be worshiping an idol that's distracting you. Or you're just plain lazy. Maybe you're not a believer. See, the Bible says that we ought to be exercising these gifts. So let me encourage you that what you do for Christ, God sees and he knows. Let me just encourage you and close with this, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I know you guys know it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Be rich in the Lord. 
knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing you do for Christ is wasted. Amen. If you want an area to serve, we have many areas in music, many areas in setup, many areas in takedown. If you want to learn how to teach, there's areas in that. If you want to be disciple or disciple, if you want to do audiovisual, you just take your pick. There's so many areas, right? In fact, if you ask, you might be bombarded. Okay? But here is what's a wonderful thing. A life spent poured out And what's astounding is he is giving you a guarantee of its success. And he is giving you a down payment in the Holy Spirit. He is giving you an ability that was not there before. Sometimes we need to wake it up. Remember Paul said to Timothy, what? Stir it up. Maybe you haven't used it in a while. Stir it up. Stir it up. Get back on the horse. Let's go. Amen? Amen? Christ, we thank you. You did conquer death and sin and hell. You proved that you own the universe. You proved the right to give us gifts. You saved us, saved us as captives to the enemy. And you brought us here. Use us for your glory. God, encourage that saint who is fatigued and tired and discouraged. Give them Christ. Remind them that they have sustaining grace in you. We thank you for your love and for your gifts to us. Help us to excel in love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.